tell a story. Largely in chronological order, so I'm not going to have one section Christianity, one section cancer, one section computing. It's all knotted together. And what I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to pull it all together and come up with some learning points, at least for me, as we get to the end. So first of all, let me tell you a little bit about my working life. I've worked with computers throughout my working life. Let's go back to my, my notes as well. Almost every element of my life has involved computers. I started as a programmer, writing code on a piece of paper for somebody to type onto cards. I finished up as an enterprise architect. And for 30 years, I've worked as a volunteer in the world of swimming. And I consider that to be part of my working life, and that will come into this as well as we move forward. I still work, I guess about 80% of my time. The only difference to before I was semi-retired is I don't get paid for very much of it anymore. But it's, it's a good life. I enjoy it. So I apologize for the title of this slide. I came into the world of computers at a very early time. In the beginning was the word. We measure computers in... Sorry. We measure computers now in bytes. When we started, we measured them in words. This was a great big thing. There were a handful of these around. They were restricted to large companies, governments. They cost millions. And they could do virtually nothing. They filled a room. They needed a power station to power them. They needed massive air conditioning. And over 45 years, this is where we've got to. All of the computing power in the world, really, is in your pockets. We've got things like big data, the cloud, apps. We don't need to worry about that. What we do need to know is it has revolutionized our society. We need to respect that. We need, as a church, we need to take advantage of that. And I'll come back to that as we uh, move on a little. But just some figures for you. This little phone here has got 100,000 times as much memory as that, as that two million pound computer that I showed you before. I had to work very hard on this. It's got two million times as much computing power in this. As somebody who started life with these big mainframes, I'm continually in awe of what's been achieved. I don't take it for granted. Absolutely wonderful. Right. <laughs> They're also a lot more robust than those big ones were when we started work. Okay, what's an enterprise architect? Enterprise architect draw diagrams like this. Don't bother to read it. It won't make sense to, to you. It doesn't make much sense to me. But why do we do it? What a building architect does understands how all of the pieces of a building fit together. So that when you build one, it doesn't fall down. What an enterprise architect does is understand how all of the pieces in a company fit together. So when you run it, it doesn't fall down. And in particular, what we're trying to do is to link this thing down here where we're spending money on stuff, computers, cars, what have you, manufacturing equipment, 
to that thing at the top, the desired result. So we need to find out what a company wants to achieve, and we help them build a plan to do it. That's what an enterprise architect does. A little bit about my Christian life. I was brought up as a Christian. I was baptised, I was confirmed. I had not the slightest idea what anything was about. As many people did, I drifted away. I came back in my mid-thirties. The light came on through a hedgehog. I saw a presentation, a sermon, shall I say, from John Maley, in which he was explaining why it was important that it was the Lamb of God, not the hedgehog of God. And I understood. That was the first point, John. Till I was ill. Well, I kept my faith and my work separate. I didn't let God interfere with my job. I'd had one or two things at church. There were one or two crises that people had, and I organised prayer meetings, and in one case, a prayer teleconference. And I was actually quite surprised at the response, but did I actually do anything about it? No. Like a lot of other people, I was a scaredy cat. I didn't really like to talk about being a Christian in case people made fun of me. What was the result? Over many, many years, my relationship with God deteriorated. One thing I have had over many years, a lot of you know I've travelled a lot, and because of that, I've had a lot of contact with other people around the world. And another thing I should have picked up on is that people from other faiths, Muslims, Hindus, Mormons, Buddhists, they are much less frightened to talk about their faith than I am, and most of the other Christian people I know are. In fact, if ever I'm having dealings with Muslims, before I even meet them, I've got to consult the calendar and find out when their prayer times are. They take their faith seriously enough that if we're in the middle of a meeting and it's prayer time, they get up and walk out. I respect them for that. We should be able to learn from that. Right. John said, what was the central point of my faith? Second central point was my illness. A little bit of facts, a few facts. Middle of 2011, I was ill, and I was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I had a plan for palliative care to see me over a few months. Nine days later, the diagnosis changed. I was told, you've got a form of cancer that we can treat. You've got a 69% chance of a positive outcome. Six months later, I'd been through chemo, I'd been through radiotherapy, and I was cleared. I was very lucky. I tolerated the treatment. Now, four years on, I'm on a maintenance re regime. No current symptoms, but the NHS doesn't ever use the word cure with cancer. The most amazing thing happened on the day when I was diagnosed. I didn't call out to God. God called out to me. 
I was jotting down some notes, jotting down my feelings, when all of a sudden, I saw those words. I will trust in God and lean on those who, who are supporting me in prayer. I didn't write those words consciously. They came from my fingers. Amazing. A couple of minutes later, I typed, strangely, I now feel better. I feel better than I have all day. Fear is being replaced by a sense of anticipation. When I was ill, I made two, well, Sue and I made two very important decisions, which I think were crucial. First of all, we agreed that we would share the fact that I was ill. I know some people are not comfortable with that. That's their privilege. I found that by sharing with people the fact that I was ill, what I was suffering from, sharing it with Sue, sharing it with God, and sharing it with others, it made life so much freer. We were able to talk. We were able to take advantage of everything, all of the support that we get. I also decided to keep a personal record. And I'll tell you why that personal record was important to me. And it's something that I commend to anybody else facing a major challenge in their life. Record your feelings. What were things like today? You can go back to that. You can look at it. The immediate effect. Well, the first thing that happened, well, not quite the first thing that happened, and this was while I was still under the impression I had terminal cancer. I came into here. Um, John Saunders effectively announced my illness in the press lot. And I felt the love. I felt the power. I felt the comfort. Throughout my, the time I was suffering, because I was sharing it with other people, I got support from St. Mary's, I got support from, from House Group. I got support from other people around the world. I'll come back to that in a moment. I felt comfort. Every time I came here, there were words spoken straight to me. Words in sermons. Words in some of the wonderful songs that we sing here. They spoke to me. They comforted me. And importantly, one of the joys of being in a fellowship like this is we enjoyed real, practical help. People brought meals around, particularly on days when we were going for hospital visits and chemo. That was unbelievably supportive. Let me talk very briefly about another aspect of St. Mary's. I very quickly realised, having looked at my faith, I realised that the people who were most troubled about my potential demise were those around me. I could look forward with confidence, but the others were troubled and I was really, really glad that there were people around that Sue could talk to, people like Caroline. Let's go back to computers for a minute, because computers were very important in this phase of my life. 
I was in hospital. I had with me two very important pieces of equipment. A tablet computer and something that gave me internet access. That meant I had the Bible because it's on my computer. I didn't have to think about, well, where can I find a copy of the Bible? It meant I could communicate with people. And when I couldn't sleep, I could talk to people in the US. One night I talked to Sue, almost all through the night, without disturbing other people. It enabled me to keep in touch with people. It enabled me to communicate with others. Now to the world of work. I'd taken a decision to broadcast my, my condition, and importantly, in so doing, I took a decision that I was going to communicate the fact that I was coping with this as a Christian, through my faith. I remember having a discussion with Peter Warren, because I was keeping a blog, and I'll come back to it later, and he said, under no circumstances consider making any concessions to other people. Make this your Christian story. I was amazed. The response I got from people around the world was incredible. Two people I work with in America turned out to be pastors of local churches. They prayed. The administrator at the company that I work for sent me a wonderful email. She said, remember Mike, the Lord, God is your rock. Through him nothing is impossible. I wrote something in my, my blog about a study on Philippians. The marketing director of the company I work for came back to me and said, do you know, I did my thesis on that in theological college. <laughs> what did I find? I found all of these reactions that I had been scared of for more than 60 years weren't there. People were responsive. I got messages from people I hadn't seen in decades. Messages of support. People asked for permission to pass my blog on. People questioned me about my faith. And I had other people who envied me my faith. It gave me an opening to communicate with people. What was very important to me was that during the illness, God was there every day. We could pray, and I can honestly say I didn't lose a night's sleep through worrying at any stage. There were some times when I felt ill and didn't sleep too well, but nights before checkups, I slept like a baby. And that doesn't mean I woke up every ten minutes screaming and wanting my nappy changed. I was able to cope with life calmly. So let me tell you a little bit about why the blog I wrote was so important to me and remains important to me. I set out to capture, at times, raw emotions and raw records. I captured good times and I captured bad times. When you go through serious illness, there are going to be good times, there are going to be bad times. When you have a bad time, it's really good to be able to look back and remember the good times. It's really good to be able to measure progress. It's really good to be able to look back at the points where God spoke to me. And I still do that from time to time. I go back and I still find the way God interfered in my life at that time 
was inspirational. It was also very good because it gave me a way to communicate. People got used to looking at my daily blog, and every day, on the left-hand column, how I am today. What did that mean? When I met people, they weren't frightened to come up to me in case, oh, it's not going very well. They knew how I was. It, communication was an awful lot more comfortable. And finally, something that I hadn't even considered when I started it, it gave me a completely unexpected outreach channel. And over the six months that I kept the blog, I managed to put into words the reasons that I'm a Christian in about three different blog entries. Let me just give you a hint. Let me make sure. Fine. Time is going fine. Let me give you um, just a hint as to what I did on my blog and some of the things that were valuable to me. So I had this loaded on a website. How am I now? Entries there. But some of the things that came up to me. Now, I actually have to be a little careful now because this was a very emotional time for me and I'm not sure that I can get through some of these slides without cracking up. But let's see what we can do. So on the 19th of August, 2011, I wrote, Sue returned to the hospital after a counselling session with Caroline. It's very comforting for me to know that Sue got the support of the people at St Mary's. They looked at Psalm 5 with a focus on prayer. I spent some time in the garden in the hospital. And I took that photograph of something sitting in the middle of the garden in the hospital. The shortest, the longest way to God, the indirect, lies through the intellect. The shortest way is through the heart. 21st of August. That was the day I came into St Mary's. Clive preached to me. The sermon that Clive preached was not the one that was on the program plan. It, I don't think this was deliberate, was it? It was one of these little coincidences we talk about. But it was on James. It was on healing. It was very helpful. I must say, Clive came to me later and said, oh, you've got to realise that this is not necessarily physical healing. It might just be spiritual healing. But very helpful. Words from Stuart Townend. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, my cornerstone, the solid ground. More words on the 28th of August. For every day I have on earth is given by the King. So I will give my life, my all, to love and follow him. 11th of September, just to show that it's not all new stuff. Quite an old hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but holy trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. 2nd of October, for in my helplessness you heard my cry and waves of mercy poured down on my life. 
These are the things that I captured as I went through this, the inspirational things. Now let me move back, because I'm, I'm sure Clive was looking for us to talk a little bit about well, what impact does our faith have on us being in our working life. And I want to take us back to a case study. Those of you who are in the house group that I'm in will remember this. I worked for a very poorly managed company. It got into real deep problems. The CEO was a woman, her husband was very ill, ultimately died. She just took her eye off the ball and there was nobody to manage the company. Nobody who had any authority to take decisions. The day came when the money ran out. The day came when the company was unable to make payroll. And I was facing a major dilemma. From a personal point of view, the best thing would have been to cut my losses, walk away. But, as one of the crucial employees, I knew that if I did that, it would probably accelerate the demise of the company. So what did we do? We prayed. We prayed personally. We prayed in house group. And one of our house group members said, what I've got to do is consider what action would bring the most benefit to the most people. Not just me. Wonderful guidance. As a result, what did I do? I delayed my resignation by a number of months. The inevitable happened, the company folded, but a number of employees, particularly youngsters, who really couldn't afford to be thrown out on, the, on, on a job. There was one um, young lady who was just about to have a baby. They had the opportunity to make an orderly exit. So ultimately, it did go down the tubes, and I'm happy to say that in January this year, I got 40% of some of it back from the taxman. So that's just an example as to how it is possible necessary to bring our faith into issues that we face in our working life. I want to touch now a little bit on computers because that was part of the topic. And I want to think in terms of, well, what is the impact on us as a church, on you and me as individuals? These things, I'm sure it works, still works, are here. They're not going to go away. We've got to cope with them. The latest buzzword is digital transformation. It's on the agenda for all enterprises around the world. The picture up there came off my phone. It's a boarding card. Except it's not a card at all. It's a picture. A few weeks ago, I went to San Francisco and I stayed in a Marriott hotel. What did I do? In the taxi on the way to the hotel, I checked in. When I got into the hotel, there was somebody at the door gave me my key. I went up to the room and I didn't interact with a single human being for all my stay. I wanted a fridge in my room. I put a request in through my phone and the fridge appeared. The day I wanted to check out, 
I said, check out. And he said, done, leave your key in the room and shut the door. That's digital transformation. It's affecting everything. If you fly, you don't have paper tickets anymore. That's digital transformation. It's affecting us all. We all need to think about this. We need to think about what does it mean to us? What does it mean to us as a church? So I've got a very superficial view as to what we can use computers to do and a few words of warning. So first of all, computers can provide us access to information. Access to the Bible, access to other resources, access to information about what's going on here at St Mary's. There's our website promoting this evening's event. It supports communication, fast and effective communication. It helps administration. We can do things with computers much more effectively than we could with pieces of paper. And I was talking to Clive last night, and one of the interesting challenges is to what extent do we take advantage of this stuff? When do we start communicating with people? And Clive was saying, well, when we've got a critical mass of people signed up. In technical terms, that means we are an early majority which is a very healthy place to be. If you're later than that, you're not getting the benefit. If you're earlier than that, you're, you're out in front. But I'll come back to that in a little while. Communication. Computers are a massive aid to communication. How many of you get service rotors by email? Terrific. Isn't that much easier than somebody having to print them, put your name on them, and put them in a letter rack. No? I'm, that, that illustrates a point. I'm going to pick up on that in a little while, Tim. You miss a sermon? You can get access to it. House groups. Plan things using email. Effective communication takes a lot less effort. Computers are very good at keeping us up to date. How many of you get a regular flow of information from the Christian Institute? We know the topics that need prayer. Nobody needs to put stuff in envelopes and send it to us. We get it when we need it. So this stuff is really valuable, and, commu and computers can communicate news very quickly. One of the things which I find really valuable the online Bible resources. Uh, some of you will have noticed I was an early adopter of online Bibles, so I've been seen in, serm in services here with my tablet for many years. You can get Bibles now for every device, phone, PC, Apple, iPhone, Android. Mostly they're free. There are loads of options. You want the NIV, you can get the NIV. You want the old NIV, which has still got his in, you can get that one. Uh, you want King James, you can get that one. You want the Jerusalem Bible, you can get that one. You've got a choice. You can get study Bibles. You can create your own parallel version. Uh, you would like to see the NIV on the left and simplified Chinese on the right. You can do that. Uh, anything you want to do is really valuable. 
Just look at that figure in the um, starburst there. These three sites between them have delivered over a billion Bibles. One, zero, 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 zero. I know a lot of people here use U version. 1,228 versions in 895 different languages. That's getting the word of God out. Takata, olive tree. These are very commonly used Bible resources. When I'm sitting in the service here, I typically use this thing called Takata on my smartphone. It's got the reading. It's got the occasional picture. It's not over, overrun with pictures. But I personally like to see the NIV study Bible on the right because I'm not as clever as a lot of people. I can't remember all this stuff and I really like having um, aid memoirs when it comes up with an odd name from the Old Testament for somebody to tell me what the significance of that is. That's extremely valuable and it helps me with my understanding. Another thing which is really, really valuable, that I personally find valuable, is, is something which helps me organise my time. Bible reading plans. There are thousands of them available. From one-day plans to one-year plans. Topical. Whole Bible. So if you need a way to structure your time with God, and I certainly do, this is something I can recommend. The one that I've been, been following for about the last year comes from, was produced by Nicky Gumbel, you know, Holy Trinity Brompton. Uh, he was the pioneer of Alpha, and there's a 20 to 30 minute study per day. Something from Psalms or the Proverbs, something from the New Testament, something from the Old Testament. And very importantly, some devotional content. And I'm not an expert, but my assessment of the devotional content is it is very pure, very clean, and absolutely strictly Bible-based. And I found this to be really, really good. I can access it online, but I don't. I get my study delivered to my email box at 5 a.m. every morning. It prompts me. It pushes me. So what does it look like? So it's got the schedule, it's got the words, it's, it's got the Bible passage. Uh, this is the version on the PC, by the way. And it's got a commentary. really helps me maintain my time with God. Now I'm going to finish off by putting in just a few warnings. This has got, of necessity, this has got to be very brief. But first of all, we mustn't assume that IT is all good. The capabilities of computers are available to everyone. The God, ha God has access to them. The devil has access to them. It can be a force for good, but it can be a force for bad. Sometimes it's obvious that it's bad. Now we've got some IS propaganda coming out. Sometimes it's questionable. It's in the eye of the beholder. Where does pornography start? Sometimes it is very, very seductive. Some of these online Bible resources are not as pure as some of the others. There are false prophets out there. We need to be vigilant. We need to be very careful in how we interpret what we read. A little bit about communication. 
Communication's great, we produce an email list and we solve all, all of our problems. We haven't. We have to remember, first of all, that every individual is different. There are some really sad people like me who check their, the email on their, um, I better not do it now, on their smartphone about every 15 minutes. But not everybody's like that. In fact, not everybody does email. That's not a criticism. It's a fact of life. We have to be aware of that. We need to think in terms of how we're communicating. Who do we need to communicate with by email? Who do we need to communicate with by other means? And we need to remember that, this, that something electronic is never a substitute for a personal relationship. So, sending your prayers by email to one of these churches in America that will pass them on to God on your behalf, no, it certainly doesn't work for me. Remember, once you press that send button, I know you can say recall, but that only says, to, oh, I wonder why they said recall that. I'd better read it. We need to think, into, we need to remember recipients. The final warning about social media. It's so easy to jot something down into Facebook, something into Twitter, but it's there forever. Just think, do you really want your picture in that swimming costume coming back to haunt you in 25 years' time? There's lots of warnings about this stuff. And I really don't have time to go into a vast amount more detail on it. So let's think in terms of... I think I've got to some learning points. Yeah, the learning points for me, at least. First of all, I've learned that I wasted most of my working life because I was a scaredy cat, because I was frightened to talk to people, because I didn't admit that I was a Christian. And as soon as I started to do so, I actually found the reaction was really pretty positive. I realised I had failed to make time for God. I didn't let God get in the way of anything. Even now, um, I find God squeezed out. My Bible in a year took one year and 28 days. So there were 28 days in the year where I, where I just didn't fit it in. And I've realised that when facing major decisions, it's much better to share them, much better to pray about them, than, than to think that I, myself, can cope. When I was ill, I'm absolutely convinced that God was a major factor in my recovery. Miracle, coincidence, you choose. I've got my views. I really came to understand and value the support of a Christian community, of a Christian fellowship. How valuable that was to me. My whole attitude to life changed. And I, I now look back on that six months of my life as a privilege granted to, be my, to me by God. God gave me the chance to learn from it. And computers, they're here to stay. They're not going to go away. They're not surpassing trends, so we've just got to live with it. We've got to use it. We've got to remember that for all the upsides, there are downsides. We've got to be vigilant.
fun, right? I've now got to the point where I say thank you for your attention and I'm, we're still within the time that John allocated to me. So do we have any time for questions, John? I, oh, I can be self-sufficient and look at the... Yes, we do. We have about we, six we minutes. We do have time for the proverbial one or two questions. Who wants to come in quickly? We don't have a roving mic. That could be arranged. Here comes a rover. Everyone jumps for Janet. It's always good, good exercise, isn't it? Mike, you said it was a sermon here that uh, really was a key turning point for you. But how come you were here anyway? What, what brought you to St. Mary's in the first place? Don't you? What, back in... Yeah. My kids? They came to Holiday Club. I came to a Holiday Club service. And a couple of months later, I saw that sermon from John Maley. So was Sue, was Sue already? Sue was already here. Yeah. She was praying, the warns were praying, <laughs> and I was stubborn. Fantastic. <laughs> Good. Don't be shy or wasting time. I'm looking. Anyone else? It, it's no personal comment that people are going out. It's the I coffee. think those are the people making the coffee. Rather hoping it's the people making the coffee. Anyway. One more down here. <clears throat> do, do you think, as Christians, we're lagging behind other religions in their, their use of IT and computers? That's very difficult to say. Because I, I, a, there are an awful lot of uh, Christian resources around. So I wouldn't say we're lagging behind. I think there are a lot of people out there making very good use. Personally, I'd like to see a little more on, um, on the St. Mary's website, but that's always a dangerous thing to state. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a new volunteer advisor on digital transformation, I think. <laughs> fears I have, you know, with this paper society, we rely on all our technology, right? What happens if that technology kind of breaks down or whatever, and we haven't got a backup system? You know, paper-wise. That is a very good question, and the best companies have got disaster recovery plans. When the Twin Towers in um, New York went down the well-organized companies knew exactly how they were going to react. I hate to say this, but I don't think that everybody is as organized as that. Um, it, that is a, a topic which engages many people in the world of IT today. 